Well, hi folks, it's great to be here in person, and it's also great that we can have others joining us online. Um, as Punchy said, this, uh, my name's Mal Watts, I'm a member of this church, I have some involvement in a mission organisation, and it's my privilege to open God's Word for us this evening. As we think about what it means to trust God's call, there is a focus on mission, but that said, it's applicable to all of us who stand as Christians today. So let's pray as we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we have here. Thank you for the opportunity we have to read your word. Father, I pray that you would challenge us with it and that you would enable us to be trusting of you in responding to your call on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in calling the first disciples, as you've heard in that reading, Jesus said, come, follow me. Come follow me and you'll be challenged beyond your wildest imaginations. You'll be chased out of towns, rejected, slandered, spat on, accused, deny me, fight with each other, doubt constantly, be poor, miss your families, be alone and possibly killed. Now they're not exactly the words of what Jesus said in calling these disciples, but they outline some of the implications, don't they, for those who are going to deny themselves and follow Jesus. Now, friends, I've certainly put a slant on the negative, and that's probably not going to be my opening words to a bunch of new missionary candidates looking to go and serve with us overseas. Probably not Marg's opening words to a church membership course either. But in many ways, they point to the reality, don't they, of being a disciple of Christ today, which to varying degrees you may have experienced, you may have read about, or maybe you know some of those who've been challenged in that way. Jesus said, come follow me. Three very simple words with huge implications. In responding to Jesus' call, friends, we have the chance to participate in seeing people come to know Jesus for the first time and the joy that that brings. We read in scripture about the rejoicing that comes with that one sinner who repents and a life is changed. But nevertheless, friends, in responding to this call, and like the mission partners we've heard about tonight, who've been sent from this church, or others going as Christ's witnesses to a difficult place in Australia, there is a cost to pay. But can I say that the return on investment is eternal? I've been reading a book recently called A Company of Heroes, which recounts the stories of mission workers who've responded to Jesus' call. Often to hard places, often to difficult places, sometimes in their own country, sometimes in other places. And a couple of stories from that book I'm going to share as we go through this message tonight. These workers have been looking with a heavenly perspective towards eternity with Jesus. Where's your vision in responding to Jesus' call? Do you have a heavenly perspective in responding? So as we unpack that call of come follow me, I want us to think about three things. The task of being a disciple, about being called, and about responding to that call. There was a man in West Africa that we got to know well when we were living there over the years. He ran a large pharmacy business, and that was one from which our organisation would purchase medicines to be used in health clinics. He has a great smile, he's always friendly, and yet he's troubled. Over a number of years, members of our team had been sharing the gospel with him. 
what it really means to be a Christian. This man, however, is a Muslim. He's a respected leader in the local mosque and his business has a large clientele who are also Muslim. One our friend has gradually come to the point of understanding the truth of Jesus, that Jesus is the truth and the way. But to actually turn and follow him would have huge implications for this man. He would lose his business, he would be rejected by his family, he would become an outcast and fall from his high position of social standing. And despite knowing the truth, about being convinced the truth of who Jesus is, he can't make with Jesus. I wonder how you, friends, would explain those words, follow me, to someone who's put their hand up and said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Or to someone who said, yes, I'm available to go and serve anywhere. They are responding to Christ's command to follow him, not knowing what the future holds, nor the challenges that will arrive in response to the call on their lives. Certainly 12 men from long ago had no idea, did they, of the struggles that would befall them. We can read about the political and the religious and the financial struggles that they had in retrospect, but when they were going out, they could not have imagined what was to come. And yet they followed Jesus. And it's all about obedience, isn't it? And trusting in the one who calls. Ivan was invited by one of his friends to Mur to come to Uzbekistan and learn and to help out with an underground Christian camp that his friend was leading. And so Ivan went. He and his wife, Oksana, had a newborn baby at the time, so she decided to stay behind. It was Ivan's very first time of leaving his country and going somewhere else. And within a week, he was with his friend in a remote area of the country of Uzbekistan where they had rented an old Soviet pioneers communist youth camp facility to hold a camp for Christian families. About 30 people came. Many of them, like Tamur, were... Muslim, Muslim background believers. So the time of fellowship in the word and with each other was precious. On the third night, as Tamur was teaching from 1 Timothy, had his Bible in one hand and his baby daughter in the other hand, they were raided by heavily armed, uniformed and plainclothes police, some of them carrying submachine guns. Ivan's heart began to race, his mind was swirling with fears and questions. What am I going to say? What am I not going to say? And at that point he said to himself, I need to pray first and I need to trust in the Lord. And what followed for Tamur and Ivan and the other men was a night of interrogation, humiliations and beatings. That was in 2007, folks. The cost of following. But that church in that country continues to grow and five years later, Ivan and his family returned there to continue the ministry. So in this time we have together tonight, I want to have a look at the response of these first 12 disciples to that call that Jesus gave and what is required of us today as disciples of Christ. What does it mean to truly follow him and are we doing so fully? Trust in the one who calls. So first we're going to think about taking on the task. It's important to understand what that word disciple means, isn't it? Many of us would have heard it all the time. We talk about discipling people. We talk about discipleship groups. We'd call ourselves a disciple. But isn't it easy to get casual in how we use that language, in that application of Christian jargon? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it's a word that comes from that Latin root, meaning to be a learner or a pupil. 
It's the task of the disciple to learn and study and pass on the sayings and teachings of their master. Did you get that third bit? It's not to keep for ourselves, but it's to pass on the learnings and teachings. In rabbinical circles, as David Watson pointed out in his great little book, Discipleship, a disciple would choose his own master and voluntarily join his school. However, with Jesus in this situation, the initiative lay entirely with him, didn't it? And as we read our passage from Matthew 4, Jesus, upon seeing the fishermen, chose them and called them to follow him. And that's important to remember, isn't it? We all have a task that God has called us to. And that does not mean that some are better than others. We're all jars of clay, after all, aren't we? All fragile, all failed. Some are called to be pastors, others to be missionaries, others to be witnesses in the world and the workplace, to be encouragers, to be prayers. We're all humble servants, disciples of Christ. But let's always remember it's Jesus himself who is the inspiring one. It's him who receives the glory. Not a bad reminder when we think we're getting a bit important for ourselves, is it? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says this, So you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are servants for Jesus' sake. We've all been called by Jesus to follow him. In our lives, the initiative lay with him. We simply responded to his call. Isn't that a great focus to remember? In our lives, it's not for me, it's for you, Lord. And certainly there will be a reward of heaven in heaven, but being a disciple of Christ and living in a way that glorifies him is not always easy, is it? In contrast to the world of today that gives us control of everything. I did it my way. I control my life. It's me who decides I am the focus. For those of us who grew up in the 80s, for the most important person in the world, you. As a Christian, Jesus is the centre. We revolve around him, not him around us. So those first disciples, those first 12, left their lives, their occupations and their families to follow this radical teacher called Jesus, the Messiah, and they changed the world. So that's the first thing, about taking on the task as a disciple. And secondly, it's about being called. And each of the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark and Luke, give an account of this calling, of this initial call of the disciples. We've talked a bit about that calling of Jesus, but what is the response of those who receive it? And there's interesting things to note in the passages from those three synoptic gospels, and we'll look at them briefly. Matthew 4 verse 19 says this, and we read this tonight, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of people, or I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus' call upon their lives is made, but the result of following is also stated, isn't it? Jesus doesn't call in vain. He calls with a task in mind. And these two, Peter and Andrew, had already heard about Jesus probably and they knew what kind of man he was. One commentator puts it like this, they were not in a hypnotic trance when they followed but were utterly convinced that following him would change their lives forever. Changed, certainly. Challenged, without a doubt. And so they followed Jesus physically during that itinerant ministry time. Verse 20 in that same chapter says this, at once they left their nets and followed. And the disciples at this point were utterly convinced that Jesus is who he said he is. It may be that there's an earlier commitment, an earlier indication to Jesus 
could explain the haste at which they left from what we see in John chapter 1. But the point I see in this verse is that there's two parts, isn't there? Did you see them? There's the leaving and then there's the following. At once they left their nets and followed. They didn't leave to nothing. They left and they followed. The things that they were attached to had to be left behind. That was their support, wasn't it? Their life. Did you see it? At once they left their nets, put them aside and followed. Now for a fisherman of the day, um, the net was vital, wasn't it? That was a tool of trade. You'd never sort of discard your net and leave it there. Yet Jesus called them and so the nets had to be left. One might say they left completely dependent upon Jesus. Not that their skills were lost, just put aside. However, the sacrifice was not forgotten, was it? When Peter challenged Jesus in Matthew 19, 27 about all that we've given up for you, Lord. I wonder what you're hanging on to that prevents you from fully committing to follow Jesus. What's the net that you're not willing to lay aside? I remember when Jenny and I were preparing for missionary service and we were organising things and contemplating what was to come. We were connecting with people and talking to partners, having a commissioning service, but all the time we still had our nets. And then the day came when we had to resign from our jobs. I remember I came home and said to Jen, I just resigned. A week later she came home and said, I've resigned too. Our worldly careers, to go to the other side of the world, funded by supporters and trusting God as we went. We were not super spiritual. We didn't have it all together or special in any way, just content in what God had laid on our hearts. So we went and left our nets at the side. Two brothers later on in verse 22. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Do you see the third element that gets introduced here? It certainly hits me when following Jesus here is that in going to West Africa for us, we had to leave our family. One of the hardest things about being away, about being far away and serving in a faraway place is leaving family. One of our workers for our organisation has just had his dad die this week. He can't get back for the funeral. He can't be there to support his mum. He's there in ministry in another part of the world. But again with this second set of brothers, they are called and they leave their work and follow Jesus. Now it's prudent to realise here that Jesus' disciples, while not rabbis or scribes, they weren't idle or destitute men either. Mark in his gospel points out that the hired men were left behind with their father. So these were big boats with employees and leaving was a major move. Yet convinced of who Jesus was, there was really no decision to be made. Jesus was immediately obeyed. In Mark's Gospel, verse 14, it says this, Jesus called to him those he wanted, that they might be with him. And there's this communion with Jesus, isn't it, in going, in being with him in the task, in sharing the good news. Jesus doesn't call us and say, well, I hope it works out, good luck. He wanted to be with them, that he might be with them. He calls us into a common discipleship, doesn't he? To share our lives with him and with others. Verse 15, to have authority over demons, to have authority, that is, to be equipped. It's a learning process being a disciple of Christ, isn't it? I don't think anyone's worked it all out until they get to glory. And yet he equips them with his word and the power of prayer and the authority to speak in his name. 
Not something to be taken lightly, is it? The call of Jesus was that learning and application. To be with Jesus points to a unique and close relationship with the Son of God. They lived with him, they ate with him, they walked and talked and learned with him. Folks, this wasn't a weekend seminar, this was a life training course. The understanding of the disciples grew in varying degrees and at times they still didn't get it. And yet that relationship gives light to the understanding of being an imitator of Christ. That after he ascended into heaven, they would carry on the work. That's what they were being trained for. A life of training, not without purpose, but with the express purpose of being sent out to preach the good news and combat the forces of evil. Don't be ashamed, folks, when you don't understand. Or you're still questioning. You haven't quite worked it out. We need to trust, don't we? Jesus' disciples had to do just that. What we are called to do is to be obedient to the calling that he has made, to fix our eyes on the cross and what it cost Jesus. Aaron and Gillian, together with their kids, are gospel workers in North Africa. And the most painful encounter with the cross was when the entire family was featured on a terrorist site, complete with photographs of their children and threats upon their lives. And Gillian felt violated and vulnerable and angry. And suddenly in this dark, dark valley, Christ who took on all our sin upon himself and gave us all his righteousness instead exchanged her hate and her fear with love and peace. Folks and people in this hard place are still coming to Christ because of workers like that who've been willing to say, yes, Lord, I will follow. People still being baptised into a changed life with Jesus. Now, folks, when we were at Bible College, we actually had a thing called Bush Camp. And Bush Camp was like this week-long training exercise for missionary candidates. It was outside of Melbourne. We were at the Bible College of Victoria at the time, and we went and lived in canvas tents. We had to dig latrines and gut chickens and do all this sort of thing, preparing for real missionary work. And we read about a challenge that comes for the disciples. It's a bit like their Bush Camp, when we read in Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41, and the account of the storm on the Lake of Galilee and the miracle of Jesus who calmed that storm. Now remember, the disciples here, they've only recently left everything, left their nets, left their boat, left their family, gone to serve Jesus, to follow him. At his request, they've set out in this boat. Across the sea, they've obeyed, and a furious squall comes up, not one that was uncommon for that Sea of Galilee, and it comes up, this massive storm engulfs the boat. All the while, Jesus sleeps and the disciples, still not really sure of who he is, ask Jesus if he cares if they drown. And Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind, calms the storm and turns to his disciples who are most likely out of breath, heart racing, water dripping off their brows and says, why are you so afraid? And they were in awe again of this Jesus they had decided to follow. We need to have faith, don't we, in the God who controls everything. As for the readers of Mark's Gospel, the Roman persecuted church, we are assured of the strong Son of God who has been called and calls us in walking and ministering in those hard places. In Luke 5 verse 4 it says this, put out into deep water and let your nets down. Now that comes after a night of unsuccessful fishing. 
They are not now working on their nets, most likely lamenting the failed night's events and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, okay, let's go and get some fish. And Simon Peter, I love it in the New Living Translation, said, oh, well, if you say so. But they obey and they go. And you all know what happens, don't you? The nets are so full of fish that extra people are called in to help and everyone is astonished at the catch. Verse 11 in Luke there. So they pulled up their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. Peter has gone from confessing his unworthiness to being commissioned as someone who's going to catch souls for the kingdom and he leaves everything. Imagine leaving everything after a bumper catch like that. It wasn't like another failed catch. Oh, well, it's all useless. I might as well go. A bumper catch. Jesus calms him and tells him that he can be used by God, an unworthy sinner. Jesus can use all of us just as we are. We don't need to be special to follow his call. Isn't it a wonderful image there of pulling up the boat? So they pulled up their boats on shore, putting aside the dependence on fishing to rely on God. And Luke here adds that they left everything and points to a condition of discipleship, doesn't it? And that refers to it again, the cost of being a disciple, of leaving everything. Are you prepared to pull your boat up on shore to follow him? And each of these three accounts in Matthew and Mark and Luke of the disciples contain that same formula, don't they? The call to bring people into the community of faith and obedience of the disciples in the mission to which they've been called. Trusting completely in who Jesus is, the one who watches over them in service for him. Matt and Julie and their family had been told they are going to have to leave their remote mission station as tensions grew and insurgency increased. They packed everything into their van with their kids as well and they headed out of the village. Obviously people knew they were leaving. There was two roads out of that village. One left was a un more unused road and a more isolated road and then the main road to the right which most people used all of the time. And as they got to the intersection of the road, they haven't told anyone which road they're taking. So they turn left and take the narrow road, the less used road, the more isolated road. Arriving in town a number of hours later, they're told that the police are looking for them. They reported in and the police said, we're really glad to see you because on that bigger road to the right, there was plans to ambush you had they chosen that road to go down. The one they normally took, but God was watching over them because they were trusting in the one who calls. So finally, folks, what's the challenge for us? What is it that we need to do today in response to this call? Well, I'm going to outline four things and four actions that I want to just discuss briefly with you. Despite the fact the future is unknown, and that we might be tough in responding to this call of Jesus on our lives. We need to follow and to love and obey and tell. So firstly, to follow. Now, while we won't be following Jesus in a physical sense, as the 12 disciples did, the call is the same, isn't it? This is the same Jesus who's calling. Jesus calls all of those who follow him to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow, Matthew 16, 24. When we respond to Jesus, folks, it's in leaving aside that which we have depended to rely on him. We've pulled our boats up on shore, we've left our nets to the side. We respond to Jesus. Yes, we will need to work 
to support ourselves, but what is it that is our priority? It's depending on Jesus, isn't it? We do not know what this commitment will bring. Believe me, following Christ in this country is not easy either, is it? You'll be put down for expressing the faith you have. But God is faithful to those who trust and follow him. In many places where the least reached live, we're going with the gospel. And as you've heard from some of those stories, they're going to be confronted with difficult situations, aren't they? But we need to follow. Secondly, love. Love is being fully committed to Jesus, isn't it? And living in communion with him. To be effective in following Jesus, we need to love him completely. We can't do this in half measure. Uh, We'll love you, Jesus, just half. It's complete. As the song says, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, our love for Jesus and our love that pours out for those to whom we are ministering. Jesus called the disciples to be with him, to be in relationship with him, If our relationship with Christ becomes stale, so too does our ministry as a disciple, doesn't it? So as we love our Lord, we need to nurture our relationship with him. We need to read his word and remember the greatest demonstration of his love for us, dying on the cross, that we might live. The outworking of this love for the people with whom we are serving and with whom we live and work. Caring for them in love, as servants of love, as imitators of Christ. Yes, it'll be hard. Yes, there will often be times when you feel like giving up, when there's so many obstacles, you wonder why you're there. A great word of encouragement comes from one preacher when he puts it like this. Perseverance is the fruit of growing in faith and increasing in love. Deepening your faith and renewing your love will enable you to stay the course even when you're tired of the battle. So love. Thirdly, it's obey. We need to trust that Jesus is the one for the impossible. When he calls us, we need to trust that he will provide. Not always an easy thing to do, is it? And something that I struggle with. When I quit my job back 20 years ago and we went out on the mission field, I really struggle with that. But obedience is often where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Sure, I can love Jesus as long as he doesn't ask me to do anything difficult. The characteristics of the 12 that Jesus Jesus chose from all those around was that they were willing to obey and to follow. God knows what's best for us and the ways that we should walk in life. And can I dare to say that security comes with obedience, doesn't it? So obey. When one's out of step with God's will, it soon becomes apparent, doesn't it? Let's focus on obedience not as a negative but as a positive in walking a life of faith and trust in Christ. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. So obey. And lastly, tell. The disciples in these verses that we've looked at are being prepared for a ministry, aren't they? It was not training in vain, but training with purpose. This is what God's doing with each of the lives here and those folks of you who are online that have responded to Jesus' call of follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes the truth of Jesus, the love he has shown, I can't help but inspire us, can it? Tell out my soul the wonders of his love, says the great hymn. There's really nothing else we can do, is there, but declare the truth of Christ when living in a loving relationship with him. Remember what the role of the disciple was that we said at the start? 
to study, to learn and pass on the things that we've learnt, the teachings of our Master. One commentator puts it really well. The Christian faith has always been and always will be a missionary faith. It exists to send followers out out into the world and to draw people to the good news that God's appointed saviour in the world is Jesus and that he died so that we may have life eternally. Jesus said, follow me and I will enable you to fish for people. For there can be no greater joy, can there, in following faithfully and trusting completely in our Lord Jesus as we seek to make the gospel known with those who've never had the opportunity to respond. So my challenge to you as we think about those words, come follow me, what's your response to Jesus' call upon your life? What would it mean for you to pull up that boat on shore, to leave those nets aside, to trust him, to follow him and go? Because we need to trust in the one who calls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us into ministry with you. Father, we pray that you would enable us to trust you in all circumstances. Help us, Lord, to let go of those nets and to be dependent completely on you in ministry that people would come to know you for the first time. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you call us and the way that you enable us. And we give you thanks and praise you in Jesus' name.